Greetings in Jesus' name. I'm Bishop Chester Wright. And this is the video teaching series, Our Motives from God's Perspective, Part 4. This is Lesson 4 of Part 4. And uh, uh, Part 4 is uh, Living the Crucified Life. That's the theme of Part 4. So, in the previous lessons in Part 4, we've talked about Paul's experience with God God manifesting his love to Paul by telling him, I don't want the things I've done for you, the things I'm doing through you, this is my paraphrase, to cause you to get puffed up and lost. I need to help you always remember that you're only the conduit and that I am the one doing this work through you. So you give me all the glory and you don't have wrong motives and try to impress people with yourself and gain glory uh, for yourself. And so... I have allowed a uh, a messenger of Satan to come to buffet you so that you will not get exalted above measure. And uh, I, w- I want to talk about this in this uh, lesson four. We want to talk about this thorn in the flesh, this messenger of Satan. Paul spoke of circumstances in life that were messengers of Satan sent to buffet him. Uh, second Corinthians chapters 12, verse 7. And lest I should be exalted above measure through the abundance of the revelation, there was given to me a thorn in the flesh, the messenger of Satan to buffet me, lest I should be exalted above measure. That's amazing. Paul made that, he repeated that statement here in this one sentence, this one verse. Uh, we're going to look look at the uh, the original language here for given to me a thorn in the flesh, the messenger of Satan. It's really important for us to understand what this is and uh, what is behind this and what it means to us, what it meant to Paul. And whatever it meant to Paul, it means the same thing to us because God loves us the same and is willing to allow things to happen in our lives to keep us from taking the glory ourselves and keep him being the one who gets all the glory. His glory will not give to another. So it's really, really important, just starting with the first word that we're looking at here. There was given to me. There was given to me. Now, this is the Greek word didomi, which is the primary Greek word for the idea to give. Strong says it is means to give, used in a very wide application, properly or by implication, literally or figuratively, and or even greatly modified by whatever it's connected to. So this is the giving concept. So when God when, when Paul said by revelation, uh, there has there was given to me a thorn in the flesh. Uh, He didn't say I was cursed with, uh, I'm being punished by, uh, I can't believe God has let this happen to me after all I've done for him attitude. He didn't do any of those things. He had the revelation and understood that God loved him so much that he wanted to help him be saved. And I've said it many times, it's one thing to be saved. It's another thing to be mightily used of God. But the most 
difficult thing for God to do, and nothing's hard for God, but the most difficult one of those three things, it's not hard for God to save. It's not hard for God to use us. But for because of our flesh, in order for God to both use us and save us, uh, he, he can't do the normal stuff. He can't. Because it is so easy for flesh to take the glory. And as we've learned in previous parts of this series, uh, wrong motive is like leaven. And the scripture says a little leaven leavens the whole lump. And leaven can be dormant and in you. That dormant of that, that leaven of wrong motive can be in you and dormant, and it doesn't seem like there's any problem, but all of a sudden the conditions change and leaven is activated and it affects the whole loaf and it rises, it gets puffed up because it injects air in the bread and we get puffed up. And God was explaining to Paul how much he loved him. And Paul got that revelation and he wrote to us. He had the revelation. There was given to me, given to me. Uh, Thayer says it means to give, uh, to give something to someone, used of one's own accord to give one something to his advantage, to bestow a gift. The purpose of what God was giving here, he gave permission for Satan to send a messenger of his to always be there to create ways to buffet Paul. But God gave permission for Paul's benefit. And one of the key definitions, according to Thayer's, of the Greek word didymi that uh, is translated give, is to grant or permit one to commission. So God... God, in his love for Paul, gave Paul, gave him a thorn in the flesh. Now, this word thorn in the Greek, uh, it literally means withered at the front, i.e. a point or prickle, figuratively a bodily annoyance or disability. Now, I don't believe there's any place in the Bible that literally says Paul had Sicknesses. Some said his thorn of the flesh was he was humpback or he had bad eyesight. I can't find in my study anything that remotely indicates that Paul had those kind of physical difficulties. And I believe in the context in which he brings up this issue of the thorn in the flesh, he's the one by the Holy Ghost that explains to us what this thorn in the flesh was was infirmities and reproaches, necessities, uh, persecutions, and distresses. The word thorn is singular, but it is all-encompassing for all of these negative things that happen to us. Thayer says the word means a pointed piece of wood, a pail, or a stake, uh, a sharp stake, or a splinter, uh, Vine's Expository Greek Dictionary says it means originally denoted anything pointed, 
of the apostles' thorn in the flesh, his language indicates that it was physical, physical, painful, humiliating. It was also the effect of divinely permitted satanic antagonism, the verbs rendered that I should not be exalted over much. And to buffet are in the present tense signifying recurring action, indicating a constantly repeated attack. That's what the that's what the word buffet, uh, the tense of the word buffet. Now we'll talk about buffet here in a little bit, but Vines is explaining the word thorn in relation to the word buffet in this one description of the word thorn in Vines' expository Greek dictionary, and he this is contained there. Now here's the summation of Vines' uh, definition: What is stressed by the word thorn? is not a the metaphorical size, but the acuteness of the suffering and its effects. Now, a small splinter gets your attention. You can be totally healthy. You can be in the best physical condition of your life, the best health of your life. You can be the best-looking person in the world. You can be the strongest person in the world. You can be the most talented person in the world. You can be the smartest person in the world. But if you've got a thorn in your finger, a splinter in your finger, all of your attention is going to be focused on that thorn, that splinter. Now, I started this uh, for our first wedding anniversary, but... I started, I got her one red rose for our first anniversary. You said, that's pretty cheap. No, because for the second one, I got her two. Third one, I got her three. Fourth one, I got her four, and so on. Now, for 50, I got her 50 roses. Not very cheap, am I? (laughs) And uh, uh, 51, we just celebrated. I got her 51. And... I just, I want it to be personal, so I will go buy the roses. And over the years, we've collected nice vases that I've bought uh, to display her roses. So in between the times I buy her flyers, she have those crystal vases or whatever. They're set around. But I like to make the arrangements myself. And uh, she always seems to like them. And so... I've done that, but there's a problem with roses. They have thorns. So all of that beauty, if it's not handled correctly, you can get injured. And no, it's not life-threatening as long as it doesn't get infected and you leave it alone and it turns into gangrene and you die. But it's painful. It's painful enough just to get stuck by a thorn. But if it breaks off and is stuck in your finger, your whole attention it's focused on that thorn. So it's not the size of the thorn. It all depends on what God is trying to allow to be accomplished in your life right now, what he permits to happen as today's thorn or thorns. So it can be a small thing that gets our attention because it's there and it hurts and I want to get it out. Or it can be a stake that feels like it's driven through your heart today in the tragic loss of a loved one, whatever. Or something you were really counting on happening, it did not happen and ended up proving it's not going to happen. 
The size of the stake today, the size of the thorn today is not the issue. It's the fact that God uses whatever measured amount of, uh, that whatever measured amount that he needs to allow the adversary to do, who's always willing to do whatever. And he's got plenty of humans that are willing to get to use, be used of him to persecute the church or the people of God. And, uh, God allows that. Whatever is the measure for today, he allows that to accomplish his will today. Uh, The use of the word thorn here reveals the Lord's intent on allowing its work in our lives. Thorns are not normally potential weapons of destruction. However, they could be very painful irritants. This is really important for you to understand that. He didn't say a firing squad. God gave me a firing squad. Or God gave me uh, an enemy with a sword to hack my head off. And eventually he lost his head. Uh, But his day-to-day living, his day-to-day living was, uh, was was a thorn or thorns. He said, that's why I, I glory in my infirmities, plural. So the thorn is the general overriding principle. Uh, also, thorns are common, common. They're not extraordinary, most of them. Likewise, thorn events in our lives are not usually great tragedies or catastrophes. God doesn't have to let tragedies and catastrophes happen in my life to get me to uh, to get my attention and remind me that it is him doing the work and not me. Uh, Most thorns are common everyday occurrences that we get close to or that get close to us and pierce our being, causing pain and discomfort to humanity and and or our egos. Sometimes people are thorns. People are our thorns. And we want to protect ourselves from them. I'm I'm going to stay away from them. I'm I'm going to withdraw. Why? You saving yourself, or you let God save you through people? Scripture says offenses must come. Will be to the one by whom they come. But God lets people offend us, to test us, to shake us, to mold us. What are we going to do with that? That's why Paul said in Second Corinthians two, "Whoever you forgive, I I forgive, also in the person of Christ." Don't don't let your unforgiveness, I'm paraphrasing now, Paul said, uh, become, allow Satan to get an advantage over you. So the thorn, a messenger of Satan, uh, a thorn in the flesh. Let's talk about flesh first. Flesh is uh, flesh, Uh, but also in this context, it is speaking of the Sinful nature, the body as opposed to the soul or the spirit, according to Strong's, or as a symbol of what is external or as the means of kindred, or by implication, the human nature with its frailties physically and morally and its passions, or specifically the word here 
translated flesh means a human being. And this word can be translated flesh uh, or fleshly. It can be translated carnal or carnally or carnally minded. Flesh. There says the word flesh denotes mere human nature, the earthly nature of man apart from divine influence and therefore prone to sin and opposed to God. So it's a thorn. These things are not supposed to affect my soul. Get that. These things are not supposed to affect my soul. Jesus said, John 16, 25, these things, the last is summarization of his teaching, which was three chapters long, one teaching session, three chapters long, John 14, 15, 16, his last teaching to the apostles before he prayed with them and then went out and prayed for himself, was taken and crucified. That's the time frame of all this. And the concluding statement he made of his of this teaching was, these things have I spoken unto you that in me you might have peace. In the world you shall have tribulation. The Greek word there is thalipsis, which is pressure. You're going, in the world, you're going to have situations that's going to put pressure on you from the outside. But I've come so that you could have peace. And the peace will be your insulation from that external. You will, you'll be aware of it. You'll be in the situation. You'll feel that situation, but it won't get in here because the peace of God will guard, preserve, protect your hearts and mind. The peace of God, which, uh, surpasseth is superior to all understanding shall guard, shall keep, guard, preserve your hearts and mind. So this stuff is in the flesh. It's supposed to happen outside to the flesh, to the natural man, so that the spiritual man can prosper while the, the outer man decreases. In principle, it's what John the Baptist said of the coming Christ. I must east increase and he must I must decrease and he must increase. If we want to walk with God, if we want to be his conduit, if we want him to be glorified, and we don't want to have and we want to have wrong motives, we must decrease the outward man, the natural man, the part of the man that relates to this world must decrease. And Christ in us must increase. The messenger of Satan. The word messenger here is angelos, uh, which is also translated angel. It can, it's not just good angels, but a spirit being in most cases. That's strong. Stayer says a messenger, an envoy, one who was sent, an angel, a messenger from God, but also, obviously, in this context, 1 Corinthians or 2 Corinthians 12, a messenger from Satan, a spirit being who comes to carry out a certain task that they've been instructed to do. Uh, Vine says the word means a messenger. It's from the Greek verb angelo to deliver a message sent whether by God, this is Vine's, sent whether by God or by man or by Satan is also used of a guardian or representative. So thorn and flesh is a representative of Satan allowed by God to be sent for whatever purpose Satan wants to do within the limited parameters 
of the permission God has given him in our lives on any particular day. And if you will remember with Job, the permission varied from day to day. It wasn't the same permission. So God is in control of my circumstances. There's no such thing as luck. Uh, there's not. There's no such thing as luck. God is in control. There's no, there's no such thing as random with God. God is in control of it all. So he allowed, he gave, he authorized Satan to send messengers from him, representative of his, with the authority to do a certain thing within the limits of what God has restricted them to do against our flesh, against our flesh. I don't think I have to go into details on who Lucifer or Satan was. Here's the purpose of it, though. The purpose of him coming was to buffet me. Now, the word to is in order that, denoting the Greek word is the Greek word uh, hina or hina, uh, hina, uh, which is in order that, denoting the purpose or the result. According to Strong Stair says that, in order that, so that. So there was given to me, there was permission given to Satan to send spirit beings to me to, to work against my flesh and being, to try to discourage me, to try to get me upset with God, to try to get me offended, to try to get me to walk away from God, to try to get me angry, to try to get me not to trust God. Because that's, he's only able to affect my natural man. I have the Holy Ghost. He can't affect my spirit unless I give him permission to. I have to give him permission to do that. I may not know I'm giving him permission, but he knows what I say that gives him permission to affect me in here. God will never give him permission to affect my spirit. That permission has to come from me. He only ever has permission to affect my flesh. Now, he does have the ability to put thoughts in my mind because my mind is the part of me that relates to the temporal world. The What we call our heart is the subconscious man, and it is relates to the Spirit of God. And through the Spirit of God, the heart communicates with God. That's why as a man thinketh in his heart, so is he. Not as he thinks in his mind. My mind is simply my conscious self that relates to the natural world. And Satan is only able to affect me through my mind, through my body, not by my heart, not my spirit. I have to give him permission to do that. God will never give him permission to do that. And I can give him that permission by what I say. He knows that no matter how reckless I am in saying it, no matter how spontaneously, forgive me for saying it, stupid or foolish it is that I say things, those things can give him permission. That's why we're supposed to guard our mouth. That the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, thy, thy great, uh, my strength and my redeemer. That's the way David prayed. We need to be praying that. Because every idle word is going to have an effect. Every word has an effect. Death and life are in the power of the tongue. 
So Satan cannot affect my spirit. That happens because I, I let his effect on my flesh, which includes my mind. My mind is a part of my flesh because it's the part of me that relates to the temporal world. Somebody said to me a long time ago about the thoughts that Satan puts in your mind. You know, you, can, you can't keep birds of the air from flying over your head, but you can keep them from building a nest there. So thoughts can come and go. It's like standing in the line at the bank and the stupid thought come to your brain. You know, you could rob this place. Well, that's not you. It's not me. And 90% of the time in that kind of situation, we'd go, that's stupid. And you go on to something else. Hey, every once in a while, you go, you start looking around and go, yeah, well, this, what am I doing? I'm not going to rob this bank. That's how Satan is always, he's a fly fisherman. He, he's casting stuff out there in thoughts in your mind to see if we take the bait. He's always doing that. That's why the Lord wants to give us a saved mind, as I taught in part two. He's not giving us the spirit of fear. Fear, that spirit of fear or timidity comes from listening to what the adversary says and believing it. But God has given us the spirit of power, the spirit of love, and the spirit of a saved mind. Save thoughts. Why? Because what we're thinking is the chance we're going to say. And if we say things that give him permission, he can affect us here. Okay? So Paul understood that boasting is foolish because boasting in myself gives Satan permission to affect my spirit. An offense gives Satan permission to affect my spirit. Sin that I will not repent of, no matter how unworthy I am for God to forgive me. But in faith of in God, I repent of it anyway. I confess it. If I won't do that, I give him permission to affect my spirit. Cares, worry becomes fear because cares held on to that I'm controlling give Satan permission to affect my spirit. And also, when God challenges my will, if I won't surrender my will to God, my unsurrendered will gives Satan permission to affect me. That's why it says stubbornness is as iniquity and rebellion is as witchcraft. Praise God. So, it was a thorn in, in the flesh. Get Paul was given a thorn in the flesh. And the word, again, that word thorn is in the singular, but it's an all-encompassing word for everything that God allows to affect his flesh. A messenger of Satan sent to buffet me in order that I might be buffeted. And here it is. You ready? <laughs> the word buffet means to rap with a fist, to strike with the fist, to give one a blow with the fist, to maltreat, to treat with violence and contumely. That's theirs. Vine says uh, it signifies to strike with clenched hands, to buffet with the fist. That thorn in the flesh beats on us to take the puff out. Now, it's the same word used when the soldiers were beating Jesus in the face, where Isaiah 52 says, of him my visage 
my face was marred more than any man's. They beat on him in the face. He was buffeted in the face. That's why we feel like sometimes we're getting beat up. Why am I getting beat up? So that I will understand that I need God's grace so that I see how weak I am so that he can be strong through me. This process never finishes till death or the rapture. Never. That's why Paul said, I die daily. The only way I can survive is to die out to my ability to do this and please God and let God do it through me. That's the only way I can do it. It's the only way I can do it. And likewise, it's the only way you can do it. When we're getting beat on, when we're going through it, the adversary thinks he is winning. He thinks he's winning. Again, as was the case of his instigation of the crucifixion of Christ, the adversary thinks he's winning. Because he was granted limited permission to attempt by whatever means that he is allowed to use at any given time to get us to be offended with God and walk away from the Lord, he thinks that he is getting the upper hand on us and God. After all the times that God the Father has used this tactic with him so that he unwittingly volunteers to participate in accomplishing God's divine foreordained purposes, he keeps on doing the same things. At first glance, this could be called stupidity. But in fact, it is the greatest demonstration of the results of self-deception possible. <laughs> it's the greatest demonstration of it possible. He is so deceived that he easily forgets how greatly he was defeated because every time the Lord gives him a chance, he is raring to go to do it all over again. Now, if we, like Job, if we prove Satan wrong, God gets glory. If we prove Satan right, he gets glory. We don't get glory either way. God gets glorified. I want God to be glorified. By the grace of God, we must not allow ourselves to join him in his self-deception. One of the greatest deceptions that any man ever has is to believe they're in control of anything. I'm in control of nothing. Nothing. You're in control of nothing. I can make decisions, but I can't make those decisions happen. I can't. I can't. I can't. You can't. I don't. I not only don't know what's going to happen tomorrow, I can know what I have planned for tomorrow, but I don't know what's going to happen tomorrow. And there's all kinds of things that could happen that would prevent me from doing what I've got planned to do tomorrow, what I want to do tomorrow. I don't know what's going to happen this evening. I don't know what's going to happen an hour from now. I don't know what's going to happen five minutes from now. I don't know what's going to happen 
before the next heartbeat. I don't have any control over those things. So how in the world would I think I'm in control of anything without being totally deceived? Totally deceived. Nobody plans to have an accident. Nobody plans to have a heart attack. Nobody plans to be randomly shot on the street. Nobody plans for their for some other human being to make a decision that has a very negative impact on you or me. Nobody plans for that. I don't have a control over those things. I drive down the highway at 60 miles an hour. The only thing protecting me from death is this line. And my hope that that person coming the other way stays on their side of the line. Because if we crash head on, one or more of us is going to die. I don't have control over that person. I don't, I don't know what kind of day they've been having. I don't know what's going on in their lives. They don't know what's going on in my life. They don't know if I'm distracted. They don't know if I'm happy, sad, mad, glad. They don't know. We don't know about that, that about them. We have control over anything. I don't have any control over a tire blowing out. I don't care. I have control over a patch of black ice. I don't have any control over that. You don't have any control. Why in the world then, as reasonable, logical human beings, would we not completely give ourselves into the hands of him who is willing to be in control of all that and make sure it all works out for good? Why shouldn't we do that? Why shouldn't we do that? In Jesus' name, in Jesus' name, The Lord has spoken to us in this lesson. The Lord has spoken to us in this lesson. God gave Paul the revelation of the the role of the thorn in the flesh in his life. And that thorn did a wonderful job because it kept Paul saved. I've read these verses before, but it's in this context, it's the will of God to be to read them again, Paul itemizes his buffetings. First Corinthians chapter four, verse seven: Who maketh thee to differ from another? And what hast thou that thou didst not receive? Now, if thou didst receive it, why dost thou glory or boast as if thou hadst not received it but earned it? Now you're full. Now you're rich. You have reigned as kings without us, and I would to God you did reign, that we also might reign with you. For I think that God had set forth us the apostles last, as if it were appointed to death. For we are made a spectacle unto the world, and to angels, and to men. Here we are, we are God's elite, the apostles, and he has purposely made us the least. In men's eyes. He's made us a spectacle to the world, to angels, and to humanity. That doesn't sound like what we're after, is it? No, sir. Our motives, boy, we want to be somebody. We want everybody to like us. We want the angels to be impressed with us. We want the world to know our name. But God, Paul said, but I for I think that God has set forth us the apostles last. As if, it were appo- as if it were appointed to death. 
For we are made a spectacle unto the world and to angels and to men. We are fools for Christ's sake, but ye are wise in Christ. We are weak, but you are strong. Ye are honorable, but we are despised. Even unto this present hour, we both hunger and thirst and are naked and are buffeted and have no, no certain dwelling place and labor, working with our own hands, being reviled, we bless, being persecuted, we suffer it. Being defamed, we entreat. We are made as the filth of the world and as the offscouring of all things unto this day. I write not these things to your shame, but as my beloved sons, I warn you, for though you have 10,000 instructors in Christ, you have yet not many fathers. For in Christ Jesus, I have begotten you through the gospel. Wherefore, I beseech you, be followers of me. Why? Why would we want to follow Paul with all he said he's gone through? Because all that he's gone through and the attitude and spirit he's had because of it demonstrates the purity of his motives. And I want pure motives. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, I pray for you and for me that the grace of God would take this word by the spirit and talk to our hearts, souls, minds, spirits, that we would allow the grace of God to bring us into that place where God would be glorified, that we would be used of him for his glory, and we wouldn't take any of the credit or the glory for ourselves. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, I pray this. God bless you. Amen.